at 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. A couple weeks ago we looked at the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul told us that everything is about Christ. That's a really good thing to remember right now, that everything is about Christ and everything else is about Christ and anything besides that is about Christ and everything around that is about Christ and anything said and done ought to be about Christ. And if it ain't about Christ, it ain't worth talking about. If it ain't about Christ, it's inappropriate. Everything is about Christ. And Paul was telling us that two weeks ago as we studied this, and nothing's changed in the last two weeks. Everything is still about Christ. And to the church at Corinth, he said they're like babies. They're just like little babies. All I can give you is milk. You can't even take the meat of the word. You can't take the truth of the word. But because you're just you little babies, you're staying immature in your spirituality. And he pointed out their failure. He said, your failure is that you're following men. And some say I'm of Apollos and some say I'm of Peter. And then he pointed out the men that you claim to follow, all those men are on the same team. All of those men preach one name, Jesus Christ. All those men preach the cross of Jesus Christ. All those men preach the baptism of Jesus Christ. All those men teach the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything is about Christ and nothing is about anything else. What did I do wrong? You can try to get that on. Y- y'all start pointing stuff at me. I go to looking. So, so I want to pick up. We, we did verse number 6 and 7, but we'll just. he said, I've planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I want to pick up this evening at verse number 8, and we'll, we'll go as far as we can. It says, he that planteth and watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. I said, for we are laborers together with God. The Bible says, for we are laborers together with God. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, for we are laborers together with God. The Word of God says we are laborers together with God. We're on the same team, on the same page. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray you take your word tonight. Lord, I ask you will, you, will you give me a touch? Father, I need an anointing. I can do nothing without you. God, I pray, will your sweet Holy Spirit move in this place? I pray you'd give each one of us something special from heaven tonight. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first four verses, Paul pointed out the fact of their carnality. We looked at it a few weeks ago. He talked about their lust, their, their fleshly lust and their fleshly desires. And, and then verses 5 through 7, he pointed out the weakness of their understanding that we looked at a couple weeks ago. But here in the next few verses, he points out the fruit of their carnality, if you will. He, he uses the judgment seat of Christ as the backdrop to his teachings. And that's what I want us to look at here this evening because nothing is more certain from the Scriptures than the judgment seat of Christ it is to come. There's a, a general misunderstanding even among the church and even among the Christians as to the various judgments that are revealed in the Word of God. There is the judgment of sin. The judgment of sin took place on Calvary's cross. That was the judgment of sin. That was the penalty for sin. And Jesus Christ took the judgment for me. Jesus Christ took the penalty for me. Jesus Christ bore the shame, bore the reproach, took the pain and suffering, took the agony. He took all of the reproach of sin and and he bore it for me. 
for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, that was the, the, the payment for the sin debt. Later in the study, we'll see that Paul talks about, he says in um, chapter 15 and verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. There, there was a severe suffering for sin. There was severe punishment for sin. And for those of us who trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that was our suffering. We'll never get it. But for those who reject that gift, their suffering is yet to come. For those that reject the suffering price of the Lord Jesus Christ that has already been paid, they will pay their own debt for all of eternity. They will be cast into the lake of fire. Amen. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation. To you and I, there is no condemnation. There is no hell waiting on me. There is no lake of fire waiting on me. Nor is there any pain or suffering or torment or torture for my sins because Christ paid the debt. But for those who reject it, eternal torment is coming. But then there's a judgment of society. God judged the days of Noah as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. God judges societies. God judges groups of people, and this one will be no different. If this world and this nation thinks they're getting away with the sins, judgment's coming. Judgment is certain to come. The, the climax of the judgment is going to be held in Jerusalem at the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It'll be at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, and it'll be just before the millennial reign of Christ. The book of Joel in the Old Testament, the Bible says that I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the Valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there before my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, beginning in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. I can't wait for that one. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goat. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's the day I'm looking for. He, he will call us in to his abode once and for all. But there is a final judgment day coming after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Just before the new heavens and earth, there's going to be what's called the great white throne of judgment. The great white throne is what we project over here in the final scene of, of judgment journey we talked about that a little bit on the cruise ship you know i mean we take these people and 40 minutes later we take them same people and cast them into hell but the reality the people that rejected christ here there's a thousand and seven year minimum gap between those two points because you got a seven year tribulation and a thousand year millennial reign so you got at least a thousand and seven years before we get to the great white throne of judgment but the great white throne of judgment is coming the first two people ever cast into hell was the beast and the false prophet. We know that because the Bible tells us in, in Revelation 20.10, it's the one we quote over here, that the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. So those are the first two cast in. The devil is the third one. But it says it will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But then it goes on in verse 11, and it says, that, that I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Those who stand at that judgment are eternally lost. 
Those who stand at that judgment will never see the inside of heaven. They'll never feel the presence of God again. They will be separated from God forever, and they will be remembered no more. You and I have a job to do, and that's to tell them about that place. And every friend and every family member we've got that we don't go, their blood's on our hands if we don't tell them. Ezekiel said, if you sound the alarm and they ignore the alarm, the blood's on theirs. But if you don't tell them, Ezekiel said, the blood's on your hand. And there's a place waiting for them. There's an eternal torment. It's up to you and I to tell them about it. After that, Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. I'm, I'm excited about that day. But I need to get to this other judgment. Because there's a judgment of the saints. God judges his children in two capacities. We're going to be judged as children. And we're going to be judged as servants. I don't have time to read the whole Bible. We run short on time. You can read Hebrews chapter 12 if you want to. But as children, we, we can suffer chastisement here on earth. Anybody ever feel like God spanked your backside for not doing something or for doing something? Or Y'all know what I'm talking about? We'll suffer chastisement on this earth for things that we do wrong. But that judgment can be avoided. You don't have to go through chastisement on this earth. You don't have to get in trouble with the Father on this earth. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we do a better job of judging ourselves and keep, keeping our own lives in order, as children we suffer this chastisement, but, but then we'll also we're going to be judged as servants. The book of Romans chapter 14 says in verse 10, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul here in his second letter to Corinth chapter 5 says in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat. Every one of us will review our lives again or have our lives reviewed in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you did today, you're going to talk to God about that. Everything you did last week, you're going to get to watch that on instant replay. You're going to get to talk to God about that. Our lives will be reviewed. There, there will be a judgment. And at that judgment, there will be rewards, but there will be lost. There, 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 there's some things. You won't lose your salvation. As a child of God, you won't go to hell, but you will suffer loss of some rewards that you have worked to gain in this life. Look back at the text, if you would. We'll get... A few more verses here to work with. Verse number 9, it says, We're laborers together with God to husbandry your God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, another buildeth their own, but let every man take heed how he buildeth their own. He goes on, verse 11, it says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Y'all see that one in your Bible? If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So you notice there... In the first few verses that we looked at, 
Paul used a farmer, some plant, some water, and he talks about a farmer in the harvest. But then here in the next few verses, he turns to this illustration of a builder. He said that in verse number 9 that we looked at a few times over and over, we are laborers together with God. Man, what an incredible verse. Do do y'all see what that says? We are laborers together. Now, that ought to be enough. You and I, one accord. Laborers together, that ought, that ought to be enough, but that ain't nothing. We are laborers together with who? You and I are partners in business with God. He, 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 he is our, our business partner, our, our associate. We are partners together. That, that's what it says. That is absolute grace on God's part because we have no business even being there. Absolute grace on God's part, but that is an absolute privilege on our part that that we get to go hand in hand and do business with God in this life. If we are indeed saved, then we are indeed filled with the Spirit of God. If we are indeed filled with the Spirit of God, then we are indeed workers with God. If we are workers with God and filled with the Spirit of God, then how in the world does anybody think they can justify talking about another child of God? How in the world does anybody think they can justify gossiping, slandering, backbiting, sowing discord? How do you think you can justify those things? We will stand before God, and we will give an account. God God doesn't need us. If you think God needs you, you are seriously disillusioned. God does not need us. God chooses us. God could have used any form of great miracles to evangelize this world. God could send 12 legions of angels to rule this world, to destroy this world, to evangelize this world. God could use whatever he wanted, but he chooses to use us. He saves us. He gives us the strength to do the work. He gives us the ability to do the work. He gives us the resources to do the work. He he supplies us with everything we need. Then he oversees the work. Then he tells us the when, the where, the why, and the how to do the work. When you open your mouth, when you type in a text, when you type in a Snapchat, when you type in a a Twitter, when when you send out a Facebook message, if what you send or what you say is not godly, then it is not of God and you are not walking with God. If what you say, what you text, what you type, what you do is not filled with love, it is not of Jesus Christ. Ain't nobody got to like that, but it's still the truth. And I'm here to tell you as a friend in the Lord Jesus Christ that we're going to stand accountable for the things we say. We're going to stand accountable for the things we do. And if it's not in love and it's not of God, then it's of the devil. Mm. You know, the truth is you can control what you say. You can control what you do. But you cannot control the consequences. Mm-hmm. You have a choice on what you say and do. You have no choice on what the consequences are for the things you say and do wrong. Second Corinthians, Paul said in chapter 5, verse 18, And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, who has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Thank you, Jesus. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Is there anybody in here that doubts that God could reach the world more effectively than using us? See, I, I personally believe that, that God could use the angels to reach the world. God could use the angels to preach the gospel. God could use the angels to preach to the lost. God could use the angels to do his work on earth and do a much better job than you and I are doing. That's just what I believe. But it is God's will God's way, God's choice, God's desire that he uses us. What a God. What a God. My life belongs to God. I have been purchased in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am no longer my own. I belong to him. I'm crucified with Christ daily. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I belong to Christ. My, my life, my, my tongue belongs to Christ. My, my fingers that I use to type and to text with belong to Christ. And if I use them to do anything that is not of God, then I'm allowing the devil to use what belongs to God to do the devil's work with it. I can control whether or not I let God use my fingers and God use my tongue or let the devil use them, but I cannot control the consequences that will come behind it. You and I as children of God, we're servants of God. God has given us this incredible opportunity to reach others. And then from that, he gives us rewards. He gives us rewards in this life. He gives us rewards in the millennial kingdom where we'll get to be leaders or, or, or what, whatever we work to be. There are positions to be earned in this life, but there are also eternal rewards that, that never expire. Those are the things that, that we are doing in this life. We are to work to gain rewards, but there will be loss. There will be suffering loss for, for those ungodly actions that we do. So Paul starts out the text with the illustration of a farmer, and then he changes here to, to the building. He says that you're God's building. Paul uses this concept several times in his writing. He uses it a lot to the different churches that he does. And he says that, that, the, that the body is the dwelling place for God, that, that we are the temple of the living God. And he says that the church together is the habitation of God through the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul said what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which ye have of God, not of your own, and, and are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul has given us this picture of you and I together as believers working together in one accord, working together with God to build something. God has trusted a work to you and I to build. He laid the plan. He laid the foundation. He is the foundation, but he's trusted you and I. 1 Corinthians 3.10, we go on there in the text, what we were looking at a minute ago, it says, according to the grace of God is given unto me as a wise master builder. 
I've laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Paul gives us the order of how it is to be done. The foundation is laid according to the grace of God. Y'all see where he says that? Paul says, according to the grace of God. Paul never got over the amazing grace of God. Paul never got over the fact that Jesus Christ came into his sin looking for him to purchase him out of that sin, save his soul, give him an eternal home in glory, and use him in this life. Paul never got over the amazing grace of God, and we shouldn't either. According to the grace of God. He uses it at least five times in four of his different letters to the churches. But, but he says, a wise master builder. So I've laid the foundation. But then he gives some personal advice. To each one of us. This is personal advice to everybody that's listening. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. He's talking about the church. The reference, of course, is to the universal church. But it doesn't change the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation that every church must be built on. The doctrines of the New Testament are inseparable from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. I'll say it anyway. Jesus was. Jesus is. Jesus will be the foundation of the church. And it is a serious matter with God when the church loses sight of what's important. It is a serious matter with God when the church makes gathering about anything but Jesus Christ. It's a serious matter to God. He says, here he, he goes on talking about, about the building. He gives us two ways here to build the building. One of them, he says, you can use cheap, cheap materials if you want to. Use cheap materials that won't last. Or you can use the good stuff. He says, any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, stubble. The precious stones mentioned here in verse number 12, that is the glories of Christ. We, we have the gold, which, which is a reference to the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the scriptures, we see gold as a symbol of deity. And here, it represents the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to look in Exodus chapter 25, you'll see that in the tabernacle, there was acacia wood. And the acacia wood was overlaid with gold. The acacia wood is a reference to the humanity of God. But the overlay of gold is the reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, then he says we have the silver. The silver is a reference to the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for his passion. If you look in Exodus chapter 30, and I don't have time to read all these to you, so I'm just giving you the, the spots. If you look in Exodus chapter 30, God gave a commandment to the people to give. They were to give. They were to give us an offering, and he gave a, a commandment to give a half shekel of silver. And, and it was for atonement for sins. It was to give for a measure for the ransom for a man's soul. But in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 18, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. There is no amount of silver that could have ever paid the price that Christ paid for you and I. There ain't ever been, won't ever be enough silver to pay the price that Jesus Christ paid for a sinner like me. Then he says, the precious stones. Well, the precious stones... And that's a reference to his position. Christ, as we know according to the scriptures, is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? 
1 Peter 2, 4 says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. I'm going to read this one to you. I'm not going to give you a reference. I want to read a couple here from Revelation. One is in chapter 4. says that he, <clears throat> just talking about the description, that this is Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like jasper and a sardis stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Just to look on Jesus Christ looked like beautiful stones. 21 and verse 10 I'm sorry, I don't want to run out of time. I want to cover as much as I can. Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. Y'all don't mind if I read a little fast, do you? It says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the city, holy Jerusalem, descending down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. We're talking about a place where we're going to go. Y'all might want to listen to this part. Had a great wall, uh, great and high, a wall great and high, and had 12 gates and the gates and 12 angels, and the names written thereon were the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them in the midst of them the, the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb he that taught with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lieth four square in the length is as large as its breadth and he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlong the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal and he measured the wall thereof 140 and four cubits according to the measure of a man that is of the angel and the building of the wall it was of jasper the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. The foundations of the wall were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasus, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. That's the place we're going to. All manner of precious stones. When you talk about the precious stones, you're talking about the image of Christ. You're talking about who he is. Paul says that it is our job to build on the foundation that Christ has laid. We, we're, we're to talk about his humanity. We're to talk about who he really is. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our salvation. He is our only hope. Anybody, amen that one. He is our only strength. He is our security. He is our redeemer. He is the uncreated, self-existing, second person of the Godhead who stepped out of eternity, laid down his royalty, became flesh so that he might show us in person what manner of person we ought to be if we're going to live like God. I said he came and showed us in person how we ought to live if we're going to live like God. If we are indeed children of God, we ought to live just like Jesus Christ lived. He came here to show us how it's done. He came here to, to purchase my soul, to pay my debt, to ransom me from my sin. But he came here to show me the way. He didn't tell me, hey, this is how you ought to live. He showed me how I ought to live. It's all right here in the book. Recorded it and he gave it to us in his word. We're to speak of his passion. We're supposed to take people to Calvary. And tell them what Christ did for us there. We're supposed to take them to the cross and show them what Jesus Christ did. And why he did it. We have redemption from sins through the blood. We're supposed to tell people of his, his position. 
Philippians 2, 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, the things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But here's the deal. He's not seated at the right hand of the Father for his benefit. He's seated at the right hand of the Father for ours. He's seated at the right hand of the Father on my behalf. He's seated at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So when you and I mess up and say, oh, Lord, I need to talk to you. He says, Father, this is one of ours right here. And he, I got him in the blood. Amen. God has no reason to listen to you and I. God has no reason to care what you and I have to say. When we continually gossip and we continually slander and we continually make mistakes and continually do things wrong, why would God care to stop and listen to anything I have to say? Because when I say, Father, my Savior says, Father, this is one of ours talking to us. He's not sitting there for his good. He's sitting there for mine. He's sitting there as my propitiation. He's sitting there as my defense lawyer. Sitting there on my behalf. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Bible says that he is our advocate with the Father, making intercession for us, waiting for the day. He's going to sit right there until the day comes when he's going to return to the place of his death. He's going to return to the place of his rejection. He's going to return to the place of the crucifixion. He's going to return to the place of his suffering. But he's not coming to suffer again. He's not coming to pay the price he's already paid. He's coming to claim what's rightfully his and take it with him. Yeah, there's a day coming. He'll sit right there on my behalf and make intercession for me until the day comes to come get me and take me to where he is. Man, what a God. What a God. That's the silver and the gold and the precious stones. Then Paul contrasted it with wood, hay, and stubble. Those things are worthless. Those things are useless. Those, those are the things that we get so caught up in that have nothing to do with Christ. Those are the bags of trash that we drag through those doors every week. Those are the things that we drag around that drag us down and hold us back and beat us down and keep us separated from God because we're dragging around garbage, wood, hay, and stubble. Those are the things that hold back the church. Those are the things that hold back the Christian. Those are the things that keep us from walking in the center of the perfect will of God. Those are the things that keep us from being everything God wants us to be. The wood, the hay, the stubble. It's just trash. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. Wood, hay, stubble. They're things of human reasoning. They're things of human wisdom. They're things of human creation. They're things of human thought. They're not of God. Gold, silver, and precious stones, that's of God. Wood, hay, and stubble, that's thoughts of men. Distractions of men. Filth of men. God has no use for the things in the church that men thought was important. It has no part in Christianity. It's not of God. It has no place in his house. I'm going to skip over this one. I won't, I, I won't, we won't get time to finish, but we're going we're gonna to work on a conclusion part of it right here. And, and Lord willing, we'll pick up with this next Wednesday night because there's still a whole lot of meat on this bone. Verse number 13 says that there's a day of revelation coming. Every man's work will be made manifest. Every man's work will be brought into light. Did you do anything today that you don't want God to put on that big screen right now? 
Have you done anything in the past month? Have you said anything about anybody? Have you posted anything? Have you done anything? Have you been anywhere? Have you done anything in the past month that you'd crawl under your pew if God put it on that screen right now? Hmm. Hmm. The day will declare it, and it shall be revealed by fire. The, the, the truth is, God gives us unmerited salvation. Our salvation is not deserved. It's not earned. God gives us unmerited salvation. He does not give us unmerited rewards. Rewards must be earned. Salvation is your gift. Salvation is the free gift of God. No man can earn it lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. But the works, the things that you do are, are for rewards. Those are things that must be earned. And those are things that can be lost. There, there are rewards that can be earned. Y'all have heard me use the illustration many, many times. And I believe it with all my heart. When we get to heaven and we get to judgment, God gives us this little bitty bit of rewards. And we're going to be so thankful that God saw fit to give us a reward for anything that we did. And then we're going to see a mountain as big as this building of the rewards we could have had if we'd have done the things God told us to do. God gives us a chance to earn rewards every day. People sit around and wait for big opportunities to do something big. God gives us small opportunities to touch somebody every day of our life. And there's rewards waiting for all of them. There's going to be a mountain of rewards that I believe we'll never collect because we didn't do some of the things we were supposed to do. Some of them are going to be lost. One of the things I want you to understand here about this judgment, that this is not a mercy seat at this judgment. Your mercy seat is now. The mercy seat's available to you now. You've done anything that God's not pleased with, the mercy seat's available to you now. You've not done anything that God told you to do, the mercy seat's available to you now. You've sinned against a brother in Christ, the mercy seat is available to you now. You've sinned against God. Any sin you do is against God, regardless of how you do it or who you do it. Anything that's wrong in your life, anything that's not in perfect alignment with the will of God, anything that's not in perfect alignment with the word of God, your mercy seat is now. That judgment seat is not a mercy seat. That's a judgment seat. But if you take care of things now at the mercy seat, you won't have so much on your plate when you get to the judgment seat. See, forgiveness is available for the things that we've done wrong. God can forgive us. God can restore us. God can re remove iniquity. A, a, a sin is to be confessed. And when it is confessed, the sin is cleansed and put away with. That's what the mercy seat does. The mercy seat's available in this life. In the judgment seat, our lives are going to be on a revolving screen for everybody to see, including us. Are you excited to know that you're going to get to sit and review your life with the one who saved you? There's some things I hope the blood erased off of my film. There's some things I hope I don't have to watch and nobody else has to see. Especially we go back. I'm assuming before 1986, that Donald Yancey's dead. Surely he ain't going to show none of that stuff. Glory to God. Mm. I, 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 know, I, I, know, I know it's Wednesday night. But even the Wednesday night crowd has sin in their life. Even the Wednesday night crowd is a bunch of old sinners saved by grace. <laughs> Even the Wednesday night crowd is the worst among us, just washed in the blood of Jesus, forgiven for stuff that we can never forgive each other for, but God forgave us for it. 
Most people can't even forgive themselves for the things that they've done, yet God found it in his grace to forgive us for it. People walk around dragging stuff, and God could never love me, but he does. God could never forgive me, but he did, or he will. Drag around stuff, unconfessed sins, sowing discord amongst the brethren, wasting talents that God gave us to use for him, wasting time. If God woke us up this morning, then today was the day to rejoice and be glad in it. Today was the day to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today was the day to tell somebody I love you. Today was the day to try to reach down to somebody that's hurting, bring hope or help or restoration. Today was the day to let God use us. And if we didn't, it's called wasted time. Squandered opportunities. Anybody have any of those? What about prayerlessness? Anybody have that sin on your plate? Anybody in here believe that you pray as much as you ought to? There's a sin called prayerlessness. What about silence? That's a sin. Anybody in here believe you witness enough? Anybody in here believe you talk about Christ enough? There's a sin of silence. Oh, we got some stuff on our plate. We, 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 we do things sometimes we don't even realize we've been doing wrong until they're pointed out. Prayerlessness is a sin. Everything in our life reviewed on that screen in the presence of the Lord. I don't know. Anything in your life right now that, that you feel like you need to take to the mercy seat, this would be a really good time. This would be a really good time. We'll come back and pick this study up next week. Some of you are probably like, man, I hope he forgets it. Let's go on to something else. No, this is, this is the teaching. This is where we're at. Paul's teaching the church, and he's teaching the church that wasn't doing some things particularly well. And Paul, Paul's given some great advice to the children there in the church at Corinth. But God's given some great advice to the children of the church at Faith Baptist Church, 552 Hammett Road in LaGrange, Georgia. God, God put it through. The, the, the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a laughing matter. The judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a fun day. There will be rewards. But the text says... Verse 15 says, if any of, of your works are for the wrong reason, if anything that you do is of wood, hay, and stubble, if any of your sins are open and unconfessed, you will suffer loss. That's what the text says. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe tonight there might be some that just might need to bring a plate and stick it in the dishwasher and get it cleaned off. God will wash it all away. I know some of us need to pray for some sick folks. We, we got some people in this church that, that need some prayer. We got some people that, that, that are hurting. Um, we, we got, we, we, well, we just got people we need to pray for. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Everybody that we talked about before I started preaching needs our prayer. But they're not the only one. There's many that's sick. There's many that's hurting. There's all kinds of sicknesses. I didn't even begin to mention all the names of my prayer requests. I just mentioned what I could think of real quick while I was sitting right there. There's a lot of people hurting. A lot of people need our prayers. Do we believe that God can answer prayers? Do we believe that God will answer prayers? Then, then, then we'd be faithful to ask. Isn't it amazing that you and I are partnered together with God? That means when we come together and pray, we, we, we go to God. God allows us, through Jesus, to make intercession for somebody else. What a privilege. Who am I to get to pray for you? 
Who, who, who are you to get to pray for the person beside you? Who, who are you to get to pray for, for your neighbor down the street? You're a child of God. That's who you are. And God has given us the privilege to walk into the throne room of grace and pray for others. Glory to God.